Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 197, Respect Earned. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside Ryan McCluskey and Ash Soden. How you doing, boys? Doing good, doing good. Yep, all good. Back to Bradford have got a slender lead, so I'm waiting for them to throw it away on Saturday. I've no faith for them returning it. You never do have faith. You're the eternal pessimist when it comes to Bradford. And you're in the playoffs, so you shouldn't be. Should have been an automatic promotion, but we're too bottleless for that. Well, you're not as bottleless as Arsenal, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to our own Ryan Farden, but it's true. Arsenal have completely bottled it big time. Anyway, less Premier League chat. More Detroit Lions chat. And today we have got a big show for you guys. We're going to be talking the news. We're going to be talking about all the stuff that's happening in terms of releases and signings. We're going to talk about rookie minicamp. We're going to talk about uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Dan Campbell. And then we're going to be looking at the season schedule, what it means for the Lions. Maybe a brief sort of expectation for what our wins and losses might be but then we're going to go into that in some more depth later on in the off season as to actually what we think is going to happen in depth but then we're going to have a look at the first six games and we're going to have a look at what each of those teams has done in the off season who they've lost who they've gained through free agency and who they've drafted ultimately are they better than they were and are they better than us it's a packed show for you guys today and just to get into a bit of preamble to start with, Discord channel is doing great and you guys should be a part of it if you aren't already. It's a non-toxic group of passionate Lions fans. So I'll put a link in the YouTube chat and in the Dis- in the Twitch chat even. No point in putting it in Discord chat. That's, that's self-serving. <laughs> um, please do come and join us there because it's great. College Football Podcast is still on hiatus for the moment, but you can expect that back shortly. The guys will be going through... Each conference in the FBS, I think, as it comes towards the season beginning. Uh, it's the season beginning before the pro season, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's like end of September, week zero, something like that, start of October. It's around then. I think it's middle of September, usually like week zero. All right, there we go. Lions Nation Unite, we're a proud part of that organisation, Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. Join the Facebook group now, Lions Nation Unite. Fantastic place to be for him and for Micro Mike especially. Please don't forget to like and sub to the show. Really helps small content creators out, as you guys know very well. So appreciate you guys doing that for us. We're also Twitch affiliated and we have YouTube monetization, which is really exciting to have that back now. And uh, Jeff Hurley has taken advantage of that by throwing us a super sticker before the show even started for five bucks. So, Jeff, that's amazing. Thank you very much. And also, VJ Dander on Twitch has subscribed at tier one. And congratulations again to VJ, who won our 1000 sub 
giveaway. He's chosen the DeAndre Swift signed helmet, and Ryan is going to get that on its way to you shortly. Thank you for the sub as well. Uh, there's a feedback form in the YouTube description as well down below. So if you guys want to let us know how to improve, there's some content you want to see, or you just want to say hello, the email is uh, in our YouTube description, and also there is that that feedback form. Right, boys, news. Let's get to the releases to begin with. And I think, I'm, I don't think I'm being too bold in saying that these were potentially a shock in terms of the fact that there were still roster places available and these guys have, have left us. But Demetrius Taylor, the defensive lineman, the wide receiver, Stanley Berryhill, after his suspension, it always seemed like an uphill battle for him anyway. And the cornerback, Mac McCain, signed early in the offseason, waived with a failure to disclose medical problem designation. So he hid medical problems or something to that effect. Boys, uh, I, I think that Demetrius was someone that we were potentially high on the upside of him. Maybe not the what he would be last year, but thought he could be a developmental piece, especially him. But all the others as well came at a kind of weird time, didn't it? Yeah, it was just before the start of rookie minicamp, wasn't it? So as we say, Demetrius saw enough. We were looking at last year's UDFA with someone who could have potential starter upside at that free tech as like a pass rusher. Evidently just hasn't worked out. He was a pretty did good in preseason last year, stuck around, got onto the active roster for a couple of weeks, but couldn't really make a mark. So perhaps we've let him go to sort of find his own opportunity. Berry Hill, yeah, after but even before the suspension, I'd say he had an uphill battle with how potentially loaded the sort of middle class far wide receiver room is now. He was gonna have to show out in special teams to show up. And then yeah, Mac McLean, same again. He was having a uphill battle, special teams, and then him failing to disclose whatever medical condition it was, obviously probably will never come out. And it shouldn't really. It's between him and the team, I guess. But they've really done themselves he did himself a disservice and maybe other teams will be scared off from signing him now. But I expect Taylor to hopefully land somewhere for at least as a camp body to try and win a, a bottom roster spot somewhere else, maybe. Yeah, I expect Taylor to be picked up fairly quickly. He's he's got something to offer, whether it's on someone's practice squad or someone's fifty-three. He he can probably consider himself fairly unlucky to pick up. Barry Hill should have been released with CJ Moore. Should have cut him then. Shouldn't even have waited. I don't know why I Won't admit him. And McLean. The guy's played himself. He lied to the team, clearly, or hid something. And now, if it was bad enough to potentially move team, depending on what it is, who's going to sign him? It's not a good look for a guy that is struggling to make any team in the NFL. So, yeah, he's he's going to really struggle to latch on to anyone now. If it's, if it's serious enough that he felt he had to hide it, that's not a good sign, unfortunately. So, yeah, I suppose... It's just it's business transactions, unfortunately, Demetrius, and that's the only way I can I can look at it. Sadly, Lions have signed a few players as well. The first one came in, I think, as a replacement for Demetrius Taylor, which is Christian Covington. Now, this is Jeff Risden's comp for Levi Onzerike when he came into the league. Covington, most recently of the Chargers, but he's also played with Houston, Dallas and Cincinnati is primarily a three-tech defensive tackles are coming in right in that spot where potentially some people were complaining we didn't get much um, reinforcement in the off-season, boys. And, I mean, at this sort of time of year, at this 
point in free agency, you aren't getting, shall we say, the creme de la creme of players. But the guys are fairly athletic players, 6'2", 305. He was a sixth-round pick in 2015. He's flashed some good stuff in his career, but the last couple of years, especially with some poor defensive line groups in Cincinnati in 2020 and, and the Chargers in 21 and 22, he didn't have a good time of it. But in and amongst a bad team overall at those positions, obviously of which he was a part. So what do you make of him versus potentially maybe what else was available out there? I mean, he could just be a camp body, but I mean, is there upside to potentially him making this roster? Uh, well, I suppose he's basically been irrelevant since 2019. If you look at the grades and the stats, he's been bad since then. He's been a rotational piece at best. I don't like it's weird, like say you get rid of Demetrius and you bring in a guy that on paper looks washed up and they're trying to be a salvage story again. I don't know that I don't really like the idea with that to be honest. He's gonna take snaps away from potential someone else and a Levi comp. Well, I didn't like Levi to begin with, so I don't like that comp even more. I hated drafting Levi, even if he won't injury prone. So, no, for me, this is camp body. I'll be very surprised if he makes a team. I don't think anyone thinks this guy is going to have some sort of breakout stellar year. Yeah, he's just, ever I think it was in like 2019 around that he started getting some injury problems and it's just really impacts his career. If he does make the roster, either practice squad or as like the bottom of the roster kind of guy, He's got a shot on, uh, on special teams, which I don't think he's done that much of. And yeah, he's got to be a solid rotational piece who can offer something as a free tech. I know he's got some experience of being a one tech as well. So perhaps he can be sort of like a third for, for uh, free tech, third nose tackle who we have there, sort of a vet backup kind of guy who push comes to shove we can put in. But that's all he's maybe really going to offer unless we do have a certain exposure like we did with Charles Harris and that. But can Lightning really strike three times? I don't know. I trust the regime, but are they pushing their luck a bit too much? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, for me, like, if you look at the available options out there, he's probably the best of them. And, I mean, that's a damning indictment on what's available out there right now, but it's the truth. And if you have a look at the projected depth chart, I mean, ESPN are not exactly good with this, but it gives you a list of names. And, you know, we've got looking at that sort of zero one tech that that inside guy we've got bugs martin jones okay fine we've got three there who are all either on the roster last year or who were drafted reasonably high they're all there at three tech you've got ali mcneil and levi onzerike and onzerike may never play another snappy football and then you have no one else apart from udfas so you've got chris smith and Corey durden right now chris covington makes a 53 I just don't see any way he doesn't make the 53 because you do need someone behind McNeil. We can play three tech and okay. Maybe you can kick Hutchinson inside there. Maybe you can kick Kaminsky in there or Josh Pascal. But I mean, ideally you wouldn't. You don't really want those guys playing three tech. If you're going to kick those guys inside five is maybe a limit. Really? You don't want those guys playing inside. Not that far. So Covington, unfortunately, maybe is, an upgrade at the backup three-tech position, and he's on the 53 for me right now, which is a little bit scary, but 
I mean, upgrading even at backup's got to be a good thing for me, right? Like, yeah. especially, I don't know if the contract details have yet been revealed. I don't think so. But it can't be more than vet minimum, can it? Considering how he's played in recent years. And if for vet minimum, you've upgraded a member of the 53, I can't complain about it. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Without knowing anything about his play, really. <laughs> but there we go. Uh, second signing is someone who was not disclosed as part of the UDFA group the last time we were talking to him and broke it all down. So we're going to break him down now. And it is the brother of Stefan Gilmore, the former Defensive Player of the Year, Stephen Gilmore from Marshall. Uh, so he's a cornerback as well. He played five years at Marshall. Uh, one was in kind of a backup role as a freshman, and then he played... Four years as a starter, three, uh, four years in the CUSA, and then they moved to the Sun Belt last year. And he was very productive in his career. 200 tackles, 23 pass breakups, nine interceptions. Um, this, I mean, ESPN has 34 pass breakups. PFF has 23. So, I mean, I guess it depends exactly what you're looking for with this. But productive player, three forced fumbles as well. He got a touchdown in there too. The guy himself... Just a shade under five foot nine, hundred and seventy-four pounds. Raz of six point two six, and in coverage grade last year of eighty-six point seven. Uh, according to scout reports, fast and explosive, but that lack of height and strength is really going to hurt him. A really good tackler, but has tight hips, and given his height, he might only be a nickel in the NFL with special teams upside. Does that align with what you guys might have seen from Stephen uh, from Stephen Gilmore in his college career, boys? Unfortunately, yeah. He's never going to be an outside corner. Unfortunately as well, he's joining one of the hardest rooms we've got as well. So I'll be amazed if the guy makes the team. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, he's not beating out Jerry Jacobs or Branch or Will Harris or even Garner Johnson or Chase Lucas. I'll be a bit, yeah, he's got a long queue. Like It's like the line to get into, I don't know, like a Louis Capaldi concert in front of him. He's just not, he's not going to get there, is he, to nickel? So if they can stash him on the practice squad's fine. But when also you think about, they've also got Starling Thomas and that as well. Like this cornerback room suddenly, I don't know about talent, but for bodies, like it's like a, a K pop band. Like they, they all seem to have like 10, 11 people, don't they? You see a K pop band and they've got like eight and nine people in them. That That's kind of what the secondary is right now. So yeah. <laughs> Good luck to him. Your references are excellent, can I just say? <laughs> yeah. I agree. Like, I, you pretty much stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say this is another Stalin Thomas V, smaller cornerback who has played outside, has got really good athleticism, but maybe due to the size will just get waxed into the nickel, uh, nickel and then be a starting gunner. That's all. That's his upside, maybe. But Starling's maybe done it at a slightly higher competition and slightly better athleticism for me. So he's in front of the cube. Then obviously you've got all the nickel guys in front of him. You've got all the outside corner guys. As a camp body, really good. Can just just to practice against maybe, but very, very long shot to even make the practice god for me. Uh, Depp Fan Man has just <laughs> told me what Chris Covington's full name is. His full name is Christian Coral Cleveland Covington, as in C-C-C-C, and his nickname <laughs> is C-4. 
So oh, who knew? That, that I, gives, I quite like that it. That gives that gives him a few plus points for me as well. God, didn't his parents like him? Coral <laughs> <laughs> for God. Oh, he's dynamite. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Let's move it on uh, past Covington and Gilmore and let you know that we have signed three of our draft picks now. Hendon Hooker, Toby Sawstall, and Antoine Green have all put pen to paper on their rookie deals, which is excellent. I don't think we need to discuss that any further. Their deals are already pretty much set in stone. I think the only thing that they can argue is how the deal is structured and if there are any sort of ways to add bonuses or or how it's earned out. But, you know, it's, it's wrangling over nothing, really. I never... Is it me or or why why is there ever any wrangling about this? Like they're talking minute details and people drag it out for months. And it's like, but you have to be paid basically one amount. Why? Why why drag it out? Or am I just mad? To protect themselves from injury. That's how we can see it. agents are telling are doing it to protect their clients from getting injured in camp and then potentially missing their rookie years. That's why, I, like the lower roster level guys, I can't see doing it. It doesn't make sense to me. But let's say I don't know. To give an example, let's say we find out in a couple of days' time that, well, he's already signed. But see, let's say CJ Stroud has been wrangling over it for a while and misses rookie minicamp. I can understand it because imagine he's in rookie minicamp and one of the UDFA comes in on a simulated sack and hurts him and like breaks his leg or tears his ACL and he's out for his rookie season. That could be his entire like like starting career over because let's say the Texans tank again, they get the first overall pick and they have their choosing of Drake May or Caleb Williams. Are they going to pass on that to give uh, CJ Stroud coming off a year uh, year long injury a chance? I don't know if they will. So that's the thing. I think for the higher picks, it makes sense to hold out in a way because injury. I personally wouldn't. If I was an NFL player, I'd sign instantly, especially if it's for the Lions. But I can see the higher draft picks doing it, but for the lower level guys who are potentially fighting for a bottom of the roster spot, I'd sign as soon as possible, get in there and earn my place. Yeah. It's what it is. Yeah, fair. Right. Let's discuss rookie mini camp, Gardner Johnson and Dan Campbell, who've all been either active or it's been happening in the last week or so. Rookie mini camp, it's day three today. Day three yeah. yesterday, day three today, uh, the media were allowed in for day two, and it sounds like Sam Laporta took all the plaudits, although, uh, you know, some of the guys put in good shifts. But did you see much of the coverage? What did you make of of what the rookies are putting out there so far? I'm loving what I'm seeing from Laporta after the catch. Like I've said it on Discord a couple of times. When he's catching that ball, he's turning quickly and getting upfield completely different to uh, a certain former Iowa turn tend we had who, as soon as he got the ball, would fall over and just secure, uh, just get those yards. He's not seeking anything else. Laporte is completely opposite. Gets the ball, his eyes are upfield, his body's upfield, and he's tearing off. And I also heard that, um, to men- we mentioned him a few minutes ago, Stalin Thomas is absolutely excelling as well on special teams as a gunner role. So maybe he could be like this year's Jerry Jacobs, a sort of UDFA corner we don't see coming who makes 53 and then makes an impact. So for me, I'm happy with that completely. Not surprising. I knew Sam would be a stud. Like I say, there's everyone like crying and bitching about who's not there and who's got a knock. Like, I don't really care. Like you say, Jack looks fine. Jack looks like a starter. Jack can line up against Alex Anzalone basically week one. It won't surprise me to see them together. So 
who I need to excel and show me is and the others that have got niggling injuries and that like I'm not going to rush them like I say give them as much time as they want like we've got knows how long from the season so people are acting like it's the end of the world yeah I mean I I just am gonna start getting super hyped about Jack Campbell like I know that all of that stuff about Sam Laporta torturing him, like whatever kind of Ryan's alluding to about it being this point early on in, in rookie camp, linebacker's a hard position to play, and Laporta is a very well-polished tight end at receiving. So it doesn't surprise me, especially given his athleticism, that he's getting the better of him at the moment. But if you have a look at Campbell as an athlete, if you look at what he's doing in terms of footwork and stuff like that, he's popping off on tape already in the ways that you kind of want him to at this point. It's a long off season and there's plenty of time to get there. But for me, Campbell's kind of putting in the work and saying the right things. That's actually going to get me excited about him because I wasn't exactly enamored with the pick, but now he's got to back it up by actually being damn good. You know, in order to back up the pick, he needs to play at a pro bowl level you want. And, I mean, call me crazy, but at this point, I have hopes that that is vaguely achievable, especially in an offense where the importance of middle linebacker is not exactly at its highest. They take things off their plate. You know, slot corner is more important than Mike. And actually, how they're going to change the scheme to incorporate him being a more important part is going to be really interesting in this offseason, because the whole point was, like Jeff Riston says, well don't invest at linebacker if the linebackers aren't important to you because the scheme dictates that other positions are doing more work. Okay, well, now you've invested invested pick 18, so something's going to change. And to that point, Mike Marine had a question. He said, I've heard of a rumour of us moving to 5-2-4 to stop the run. Uh, he says, who would you put in there? But I, I will address that on another show. But just in general, the idea of moving to... Five two four as a base scheme, boys. What do you think? Because we've been there, we've done that. We were there two years ago before last year, moving back to four three. Um, it has its ups and downs. What do you reckon? We've already gone there slightly. Last game against the Bears, we were mostly five two fronts to stop Justin Fields and that going off. This is all it's done for me. Is we'll still probably be the sort four three under the over scheme that we've been this past season, this just gives us a bit more flexibility to if we want to go 5-2 or Riz even said on DLP 5-1, if we want to stay in a nickel set, Campbell will be that one. He will be the guy that's trusted to play linebacker in that. So it's just given us a bit more scheme versatility. The thing that the previous pencil-headed coach said we would have but never gave us this regime has actually given us, we can play four, four down fronts, we can play three down fronts, we can play five down fronts if we want to because of the players we've got now. So it's just that little bit more flexibility. So one week, if let's say when we play the Bears, we go 5-2, then the next week when we play when we play Green Bay, we can go to more of an even front. And then if we go to New Orleans, we spot that their, the O-line is very weak in the middle, but then... They, you need a bit more support and coverage. You can go to three down fronts. just gives us that ability just to chop and change and make things harder for opponents to game plan against our defence. Having a new D-line coach as well, it's not a total surprise if we just see a different front or some different formations. Like He obviously gets some say in that. They're going to welcome his opinion, especially having some good success with what the Nittany Lions did. So I think we'll mix it up a bit this year. And 
actually Depp Fan Man in the YouTube chat has made a really great point as well, saying John Fox is the key player here. And having yeah. him as an elite defensive mind, I mean, God knows his teams were boring to watch on offense, but defensively, that's how they stayed in games. And his ability to kind of lend his expertise to that makes me think that we're going to succeed no matter what. And actually, when when Campbell talked about in his very first press conference, we're going to put our best on your worst. We're going to adjust to fit exactly where, how we think we're going to exploit you is exactly what Ash has basically just said. We want the ability to go to, I mean, hell against Chicago. We had a one-man front for that interception against um, Fields with Hutchinson on the sideline, didn't we? So one to five-man or even six-man fronts, we want the ability to do it all because if we can do it all to a really good ability, they won't know what's coming. And that versatility is really going to help. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I think it it definitely could be a feature of what's going to happen. Chauncey Garden-Johnson has been, I mean, throwing a little shade. He he was on, uh, was it Mina Kimes? Yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and just, you know, talking about the Eagles. And I don't think he's he's showing any anger about it or anything like that. I don't think it was flippant, but he kind of just said, the, the Eagles front office turn their back on him. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start this off by just saying for myself, I think that all of the above is true here, right? I think that Chauncey is very much entitled to feel like they did turn their back on him. I don't think they wanted him back at all. You have a look at the reported contract offer. That says to me, I don't care if you're here or not. Because it was going to be what? Three years, 20... Three years, was... 27 million. But the first... Two years of it was two years, eight million. And then you cut him with minimal dead cap. And the third year was like 20 million he's never going to earn. So it's like, do you want two years, eight million? And it's like for a player of his ability, he was apparently going to get 10 million a year or 12 million a year. I mean, in complete difference to Jamal Williams' situation, that contract is a kick in the face for one of the best in the NFL at their position, right? But if they didn't want him there... They're, they're under no obligation to actually offer him a deal that's competitive because if you don't want him there, then extending him a contract offer is a courtesy that they probably didn't even have to do. So I can see both sides of it. If they didn't value him, I mean, if they didn't value him, I don't know why they traded for him. But that's another story. I mean, boys, what do you reckon about this? Because he's not, he's not pulling any punches, but he's not being aggressive about it either. I kind of admire the way that he's gone about it almost. Yeah. I- I, I'm very glad to have him. Like he's one of his players. I always looked at and I thought he brings drama. He seems like a bit of a diva, or he can be, but he's his talent and his production outweighs him sometimes being a baby. Whereas OBJ, like I say on two torn ACLs being a twat all the time, looks like a bit of a muppet. And Antonio Brown, like there's a fine line between a character and also getting your point across. And say being a spoiled baby or being a brat and showing why a team didn't let you. And he walks the line very well. Like I've always said, I don't really care. Like if coming into the season, he's turned out to be a massive locker room issue, but he's been really productive on the field. Like one year at Semelin, I don't really care because he's an he's an upgrade at a position we needed. So I'm willing to overlook his potential brutal honesty if he's ever going to be scathing, if he's ever going to be a bit of a uh, bit of a Debbie Downer, he's going to be a bit chipper. I'm fine with that. So far, I think he's conducted himself fine. 
throughout the season, let's see what happens. Let's say, let's see who gets in his face. I expect him to draw some flags. There'll be some antics. But as long as he uh, as long as he steps up and be one of the best defensive backs in the field, I'm more than happy to put up with whatever comes with it. Like I said, so far he's doing fine. I expect him there's this be some trial initiatives at times, because that's that's kind of shown that. But he's also an elite level playmaker. And it's hard these days to get elite level talent with not having them have a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. So as long as he reins it in and like say keeps it professional like he has right now. It's the Philly fans that are crying. Like not him. Like they are properly all over the guy. And yeah, I can't wait for the diss track. He's definitely gonna make one. I want him, I want Ellie McNeil, I want everyone, I want him to make a rap. Yes. So yeah, I completely agree. And I was gonna go on to the uh, the Eagles fans because I put in a Discord a tweet from a prolific Eagles fan who also does some YouTube who was he first off his tweet, really good point. He said, yeah, fair enough, you felt disrespected, but you wanted a bit too much for us. We had to move on kind of thing. Then he had to go and slander our defense and say, of all the places you choose to go to, you go to one of the first defenses in the league. So I had to sort of create him. He's like, number one, well, number one, how better to, to prove yourself than turn a, what you see as a bad defense into a real, uh, to a better defense. That's proving yourself. You're taking something that's bad and you, with your addition, you're making it better. But he's also sort of just looking at the season a whole and not actually being a bit more nuanced about it. So I had to go in and correct him about the whole stats about like after the bio, we actually improved a lot and all this. And he's coming to a coach who is known since high school. And we've made a load of additions on secondary as well. One of not just him, but we've brought in Mosley, we've brought in Sutton. We've got Tracy coming back healthy. We've got a fully healthy Romeo Quara now. We've got Charles Harris who's coming back off injury. We've got Hutchinson, Houston, Pascal making second year jumps potentially and the line. We've got a bit more stability at you know, a defensive tackle. We are set up to become a, at least a middle of the road defense. And if he comes in and does that and improves himself by doing that, then in 12 months' time, Philly fans are going to look back with a bit of egg on their face, in my opinion. So let him talk the talk. He felt disrespected. Let him say that. And now he's got to come out and prove why that district will have that disrespect is fueling him and prove that he was disrespected. And I have faith he can. Yeah, just a correction. Dan Pass rightly says it was Kay Adams, not uh, wow. not Mina Kimes. But, you know, I only looked at him right now on paper. For me, he's a rental. Yeah, This is a stepping stone for him. If he plays out of his skin, then I'll give him the bag. But if he plays good to great, eh, got branch. like Jordan Jackson, let's say, but if he gets good play and he uses as a stepping stone and bounces next year, let's say, go, go get it. Fine by me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And let's finally, in the news, just move on to Dan Campbell. He was obviously on... Good morning football and was on for a good amount of time, like 10, 15 minutes, just chatting with the guys. I did find the impression of him really, really funny, actually. But uh, just talking about what it means to play the Chiefs week one and, you know, what that says about the team. And, you know, we're kind of alluding to the schedule now. But, you know, he kind of said, you know, this is an endorsement of the team that at the end of the day, they don't. The, the league doesn't expect the Lions to get blown out week one against the best team in the league. And I mean, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that sentiment, but the league clearly thinks it's going to be an entertaining game for all parties. I do think the hard knocks has helped with this, boys, but did he catch the interview? And, 
you know, he's just such a compelling guy, isn't he, Dan Campbell? Every time you see him, there's just no fakeness or polishedness. He's just unashamedly himself. Yeah, completely agree. Though I, I will make the sort of slight joke that if the league thought it was such a good game and we'd be so entertaining, why isn't it the Germany game? Why have the Germans got to put up with the stinking Chicago Bears coming to their shores and laying absolute stinker on their shores it's just but yeah i think we won't get i i have faith we won't get blown out we've got to remember the last time we played the chiefs we were under pencil head and it took an absolutely amazing travis kelsey play to beat us we nearly beat the kansas city chiefs and i think that was the season they made the super bowl and won it against san francisco as well so we've been there before and we've held like held firm against them we're a lot better than this time we've got better coaching staff we've got better players and to be honest, the Chiefs, yeah, they've lost a bit. They've lost Tyree Kill. Don't re- really know what they have receiving-wise other than Travis Kelsey. And now we've potentially got a tight end killer in Jack Campbell. So we have the tools to beat them. It's just who turns up a week one? Do we prepare better and sort of minimise them? Or does Mahomes come out with an absolute scorcher and just burn us to shreds? I, I agree in your sentiment that Goodell and the executives think that we can at least keep pace with them and that we will put on an entertaining game where we'll win or lose. Like it is it's not gonna be a blowout. It's a uh I I like it. I, I think it's a great challenge. And obviously then we get a nice long break as well to the second game. Like you get like best part of 10, 11 days. So even if we come out of it a bit beaten up, like at least we get a good rest period for me. It, it's a win-win scenario. We get the nice break, and we also get a day in the limelight. Which last year and that we, we we rarely got few. This time this year we got loads. So I think it'll do good numbers. I see people are hating on it already all over. I think it'll do really good numbers, especially viewing figures. We would pull off the upset. Who the hell knows? But we we did our bit against the Eagles last year, and we fell just a bit short. So there's no reason we can't do the same again this year. Ultimately, I won't care if we win or lose. I'll care how we play and how good we look because we're notoriously slow starters and we yeah. normally think we're a bit laggy. So we, we won't be able to afford that this year. Come on to what Ash and I think about week one in just a second, but just going to talk about the schedule release video and the preseason games before coming on to that in more depth schedule release video boys ranked by a lot of people to be one of their sort of top three schedule releases the social media team with the lions is clearly just you know one of the best they put a lot of thought and effort into it we've been told about this for a long long time that they are the best of the best that they care about how they're perceived and that really shows through did you catch the video what did you make of it it was um if nothing but entertaining boys I'll let you go first, right before I absolutely go on a rant about this. <laughs> My own little rant. I have not seen it. Oh, oh, oh okay. my god! Ash, take it away. Oh my god! So, oh, so for me, I as like one of the younger generation who uses like TikTok, and I absolutely loved it. So one of my favorite TikTok accounts is this one called Presidential Discord, which is the exact concept that 
the social media team use where it's like gameplay for Call of Duty and then someone's got like a fake Discord call with like Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush all playing Call of Duty together and basically like ripping each to each other and making jokes and that. The fact that they use this concept, I absolutely love to do it. And they were made, they made such good jokes as well. So I've got saved on Twitter ready for when we beat the Bears. I've got the clip of Brad Holmes saying, you just got Amon Ross and clowned where they've moved him to corner and got him cover his brother and he gets an inception. I've got that saved. I know people probably could guess I loved it as well. The char- the Dan Campbell charges joke at the end uh, on that one where it was like, don't, Brad was like, don't say it, don't say it. Like, Brad's like, uh, and Dan was like, I need a charge. I was like, that's my kind of humor. I just, <laughs> I loved it. Just, it just got my sense of humor so well. And I look like, I loved it a lot better than some of the ones that got ranked ahead of us, like the Titans one, as I say in the pre-show. I didn't really get it. Maybe it's American humor that we do. I just didn't get, but I just absolutely adored this video so much. My favorite part. And so, Ryan, basically, Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, AI voices playing Madden through the schedule, and they're just making jokes at each other the whole way through. It was really well done, including um, having Saul as a tight end who split out for a touchdown late. Like, just cool shit they did with Madden. It was fun. But the the very last bit where they had a nod to Pride of Detroit saying, R.I.P. Don Crimble. Who, yes. I mean, as someone who enjoys the Pride of Detroit Madden um, streams on a Saturday before the game on Sunday, Don Crimble was always something really funny. Jeremy Reisman made it up, at, or maybe the chat did, but you know, Pride of Detroit made it up. And the team, clearly, either someone in their department has watched a stream of it where they've mentioned it and they've taken it to heart, or they genuinely just watch Pride of Detroit as fans. And Either way, that's just really cool to hear. Not only, you know, because no one in the national media is getting the joke. And it's a beautiful thing that you put it in the release video. You know the entire league's going to watch it. And you put in a little nugget like that just for the fans. Like, it's thoughtful. It's everything that you kind of didn't think the Lions ever did. I grew up as a Lions fan thinking the Ford family doesn't care. Like, that's what we've always been told. Ford family doesn't care about the Lions in particular, about the fans in general specifically, the, the team I'm sure they care a bit, but like not enough. Um, it's just all change. It speaks volumes about the lengths they go to to show that they actually do care. I love it. All right, we'll move on from the schedule release video and talk about pre-season. We are going to be having joint practices before week one and two, the first time since 2019 that we have done two sets of joint practices. Week one, is at home against the Giants. So joint practices with them at um, at Allen Park. Week two, at home against Jacksonville. Same deal with them. And then we go on the road in week three. In prime time on Friday, the 25th of August. So it's 8pm Eastern time, prime time game, which is really annoying for us Brits because it's pre-season, so who cares but we normally do something for it. I'm not sure I'm staying up until four in the morning for a preseason game, quite frankly. But cool that they're throwing us a well um, amongst all of the other primetime games we've got this year, boys. So Giants, Jacksonville, Carolina, and specifically the joint practices is really interesting news about who we're playing and why. Because we're we're going to be playing Carolina this year too. So 
you know, that's going to be an interesting matchup. I know it's week three and the starters don't play, but whatever. What what do you make of the preseason? I like who we've got as joint practices a lot. So <clears throat> the Giants, really good D-line to go up against to practice against for our O-line. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, A. Sean Robertson coming back home. Aziz George Lari, Kayvon Thibodeau, O'Shawn Zimenez. Loads of good pass rushers for us to practice against to get sort of to make sure Goff's in his rhythm. He trusts protection again to get practice against. And then week two, the Jags with their just insanely loaded inside linebacker room where they've signed every single good one and drafted every single good one with a lower gun, Devin Lloyd, Chad Moomer, Ventral Miller this year, Shaquille Quarterman, who's quite decent as well in coverage. This is the perfect two teams in a way to practice what we're bad at. So we can test Laporta how he goes against good uh, good um, coverage linebackers. You can see how we face against good running backs with Travis Etienne, mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, how we go against quarterbacks who got a bit of rushing upside with Daniel Jones, Trevor Lawrence. It's really, really good matchups to sort of practice what we need to get better at in terms of offense and also practice what we need to get better at on defense as well. So I really love the sort of matchups. And obviously, as we all know, I'd love to get one over the Panthers, not just because of last year's trouncing on the ground, but also because one of my best friends is a Panthers fan. So I want him to hold the L twice this year, if possible. Yeah, it's a good mixture. Like I say, one's a, one's a run to pass and one's a pass to run. So even if we get a quarter of Trevor Lawrence, maybe a half, uh, maybe best part of three quarters against Daniel Jones, who has just got the bag and has got the world to prove this year. So I think that's quite a good, interesting line to mix. So, yeah, and the Panthers, to shave that stirred, I'd have loved to snap Bryce Young like a fucking cat. <laughs> I'd have loved to, someone just ruin him like the first player of the year. Uh, welcome to the NFL. But, yeah, I don't think it'll, Oh, well, I don't care. Wins and losses in preseason are non-existent. They don't really count. But yeah, they're, they're decent warm-ups for a, a Chiefs team. So yeah, like I say, it, it's going to be good. And it's it's not too miles, like I said, not too many miles as well, because I'm pretty sure I've seen we're one of the least travelling teams as well this year, under 7,000 miles. So the schedule this year in general has been kind. There won't be much jet lag. So, yeah, we're keeping our enemies close and our real enemies closer. So, yeah. It's going to be really interesting. I think the thing that jumps out to me about all three preseason games is they are all teams, at least for last year or for this year, I'm projecting that all three of these teams are exceptionally well-coached teams. The Giants overperformed last year with a new head coach, and actually he's just very well respected around the league. Did he win coach of the year? Um, not no, that I remember, no. Oh, he won no, one he, of them. He, he won he, one of them, was, I think. He was in the mix for it. Obviously, Doug Peterson did really well with Jacksonville. And then Frank Wright coming into Carolina, I know that he obviously didn't have the greatest run of it in Indy, but he's a very well-regarded coach. And a lot of people think that that is a big upgrade in Carolina, given you know, what they've had before. So it's not just the players that you're playing, it's the experience of the coaches taking practices together and we'll get the benefit of varied practices from what might be considered good coaching staffs. And that really excites me, not just the player. I don't really care about the players, it's the coaches that I'm playing for here. So that's got me hyped. Uh, but let's move on to the regular season. 
And as we've alluded to, kicking off the regular season, Thursday night football. It's not Thursday night football. It's on Thursday night. It's Sunday night football, of course, because why would it be anything else? But it is, as far as I'm aware, it's the Sunday night football crew. Football crew, yeah. So it counts as it, yeah. So they they get it every first one every year because, to be fair, it's an upgrade anyway because Amazon Prime's coverage is not the best, let's be honest. It's it's not, but yes. Yeah, so it's it's NBC. It's I think branded NFL kickoff as opposed to Sunday Night Football, but whatever. Uh, as Ryan was saying, you know, exciting game. Ash, what do you make of the matchup specifically? I like it. How better to test this new secondary that we've got ourselves than sort of giving it the ultimate baptism of top fire by making us face the best quarterback in the league. I know some people probably prefer Burrow or certain members of this panel perhaps prefer Josh Allen, but Patrick Mahomes is just the ultimate test. And again, as I says, how better to test a specifically coverage of tight ends, which has always been our weakness. And it's perhaps one of the reasons why we drafted Jack Campbell than facing the best tight end in the league in Travis Kelsey. And I just love Andy Reid. Like as someone who loves play calling and watching intricacies like I'm reading currently our book that's literally every single offensive play we ran last year broken down into play types how many yards it went for I'm going to love to sit there watching a sort of offensive mastermind in Andy Reid a sort of old guard go up against the sort of new guard of offensive mastermind with Ben Johnson who's getting all the acclaim how better for him to go to prove himself as the sort of next great offensive mind than going toe-to-toe with an absolute God combination in Reed and Mahomes. And we've got, can't forget the last time that Mahomes and Goff faced off as well. That was an absolute banger. So how better for the NFL to kick off than another 120 point game or something? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it's just, it's the biggest win potentially of this entire schedule getting Kansas city week one. Like, yeah, you let the you let the Chiefs get into their groove. By the time it gets to November or December, they've turned it around from being slightly iffy early on, which they can do. I know they've won most of their opening games, but actually last year, I think they were one and three to start the year, and then they they turned it on big time. Like, I don't think they're a team that generally speaking, apart from opening day, have good starts either. I know we've said that about us, but Kansas City, when they're in the groove, are basically unbeatable. So why don't we try and catch them cold? I know we're cold too, but the preparation time probably favours them more than us. So there's no tape to work on for either team. I think this favours us. Not in terms of like whether I would pick us to win, because that's madness. But like I think the spread would be lower for week one than it would be if we were facing them week 12, week 10, yeah. week 15, whatever. Like... They're into their groove. They've knocked out any rust and they're just the best team in the league again. And it's frustrating. Uh, So I think it gives us the biggest chance to win. As Ryan adequately said, it gives us 10, 11 days to prepare for the next game. So it's not a short week because it's a Thursday game. You've got all off season to prepare for this game. Now that kind of speaks contrary to what I was just saying about lack of preparedness, but it's about game tape. There's no game tape. So You've got all the time in the world to prepare for the game. It's not a short week. And then you have the most time to prepare for week two of any team. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. And we'll need it because we're facing Seattle week two, a team that almost scored 50 points on us at home last year. 
will then be facing at home again the Falcons in week three before going to Green Bay on Thursday night football and actually Thursday night football this time for our second primetime game in four weeks. And boys, that stretch of three games are ones that I keep hearing people say, well, we need to win all three of those, which I think is optimistic. I think that I see people saying the Lions need to be a 13-win team. And I feel like putting a gun to my head when I hear that, because have we not learned about what the Lions can do to you? We need to, for me, have some humility and, you know, I'm still going to predict how many games we win and it's going to be higher than last year, but it feels a stretch to me, but it's an interesting run of games, boys, that first quarter of the season up to week four, KC, Seattle, Atlanta, Green Bay. It's not, it's not exactly a gauntlet. It's also a team that's a list of teams that are on our shit lists. So Seattle for taking Devon Witherspoon, our prized and beloved draft crush, probably into probably the entire pod. I know, Ant was on him first, then probably me. But if we was there at six, I think we can all agree we probably would have run in the card and it would have been the pick, but instead didn't happen and what else happened transpired. Atlanta, obviously, always funky games against them. I'm thinking the Golden Tate runoff rule. I'm thinking the Todd Gurley accidentally scoring a touchdown, which let um, Goff, uh, Stafford and Hawkinson drive down the field to beat them. And they're on our shit list for Richie Grant and such. And it'd be a revenge game for um, Kamish. And I guess t- uh, partly as well, Charles Harris, because he was cut from Atlanta and then we picked him up. So there's two potential defensive pieces who were going to be playing out their minds with revenge on their mind. And in Green Bay, let's see if Kirby can uh, scare Jordan Love out of the uh, division and make him a go for a bit of a retreat to quote Brad and Dan from the schedule release, because I can see it happening. Just him lining up on the backfield. Love needs a Hail Mary to beat us. I know Rogers has done it before and made us a broke our hearts, but now we have Kirby to sort of end that and break Jordan Love even more. I think that would be, if he does that, that'd be three straight games he's played us and three times the game's ended in interceptions. Admittedly, the past couple of times it's been CJ Moore that's got him and he's not going to be here to get them, but we have enough talent back there to get the turnovers if we need them. I think it's I think it's difficult. Like I say it's it's three games where our interior defensive line will be severely tested. So you've got Kenneth Walker, you've got Bijan Robinson and Tyler Legier from a thousand yard season, and you've got a Packers team with a totally inexperienced quarterback. So I expect them to establish the game with Aaron Jones and uh, with uh, AJ Dillon. So I don't fear Desmond Ridder whatsoever. The guy reminds me like a Jehovah's Witness. Like, say, he just he just seems too passive. There's just not about him. I don't see a spark in him. I don't, he don't strike the fear in anyone. Uh, John Love, total wild card. I don't know what's going to happen there. They did kind of try to give him some weapons. Seattle, they are no mugs. I'd say it, that is a really difficult game. Atlanta as well, they they vastly improved their secondary like us. They went out and got some some good household names, added some guys there, what was also a really bad defense. 
So that's two rebuilt teams. So I think his first four games are really difficult. I said, I'd be fine like two and two. Teams say we need to go three and one, four and oh. I'm sorry, guys, that is not happening. First of all, because we are not beating Kansas City. Not in the month of Sunday, so I think we will beat them. I think you can have all off-season, but a secondary that many bodies will take gameplay gel. And I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. And he can be as cold as he wants. He'll heat up very quickly. Like I say, two, three minutes in a microwave. And like I say, he's a, he's a lasagna straight out of the box. He's piping hot. So he'll, he'll hit his stride quicker than others. But yeah, I think that is a rough start. I think the thing with Atlanta is that barring quarterback, that's the best team in the South for me. Maybe that's not saying much. But on both sides of the ball, I think they've really improved. We'll get onto that in a little bit. But that's much harder than people think. Seattle are the favourites for the West, I think. 49ers still are by oh, game, sorry. I yes. think. Oh, yes, sorry. Beg your pardon. But they're, they're, they're going to get into the playoffs as it stands. You know, that that's what a lot of people are projecting them to do. Well, how did I forget 49ers? My God. Um, yeah, but that's the starts and Brock Perry can't go. They ain't winning. Fuck all of 49ers. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then Green Bay, Green Bay in their own building. That defense is still good. The offense has retooled a bit. And yeah, I don't believe in Jordan Love. But I mean, if Aaron Jones is there, he's wrecked us before. So let's see what happens those first four games. Going into the second course of the season, we have our second game against Carolina, this time for real. In week five, go to Tampa Bay. We then receive the Ravens. Oh, no, we go to the Ravens, sorry, uh, in week seven. And then we come back home for Monday night football. Las Vegas Raiders week eight. Uh, actually on a Saturday, even though it's Monday night football, because... Uh, no, it's not. Sorry, it's on a Monday. I'm getting on to the Saturday game too early. Beg your pardon. Sorry, that's Christmas time. Duh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll get it right. The uh, day before thank- um, Halloween is what I'm trying to say. Sorry for the confusion. I'm not very well. I'm nursing a cold and my brain's not working very well. Second quarter of the season, boys, again, kind of bookended by primetime games. So obviously week four ended with Thursday night football. We now end with Monday night football in week eight and then go into the bye in week nine. So, I mean, tasty to get a bye in the middle of the season for the first time in what seems like forever. And then what might have seemed like a a bit of more daunting start than people were thinking of, this perhaps eases off just a tad this second quarter of the season. What do you make of it? I think the Bucks is the easiest game up until now. They're a mess. That roster has been ravaged. They, they've barely got two coins to rub together at quarterback. Like I say, they've got like what, it's basically a frat house that, at their quarterback position. So they're in trouble. The Buccaneers are aggressing quickly. And actually, I want to go there and I want to lay a fucking smack down on them. I want to rapidly speed up their thing. Carolina, by now, Bryce Young has found his feet or he's dead. I, I don't know which will happen yet. I love the kid, but by now he's had that welcome to the NFL where he's probably had at least one shot to the head. Like I said, someone's probably lit him up. But And then the Ravens. Oh, God, do I want to be the Ravens after that? Fucking field goal. That 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 is a that's a revenge game for me. 
And oh, I, I don't think the Ravens are strong as people make out. Is it? It's still a shaky wide receiver core. It's still Lamar Jackson by now that might have picked up a knock, knowing his playing style. So, and then the Raiders. Who knows what you get with Las Vegas this year? Jimmy G, the 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 playboy bunny, the Hugh Hefner of football. Like you say, he's he's so average. He just reeks of it. I like say, if you want good looking, like the guy, probably he's working in Abercrombie and Fitch. If you can throw fifty yard ball, like I, I want to go three and one in this stretch. I feel much better about this ball game stretch than I do the first four games. Two prime time, two chances to show that we're a real deal against some, I'd say, lesser competition. I'd say the best team we play there is Carolina. I think they'll be the best Ooh. team in that stretch. I think really? More so than the Ravens? Football. Yeah. I think they played good complimentary football, Carolina, and they had good additions. You've yeah. stolen my hot take. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but people getting hyped up about the Ravens game being maybe the hardest game of the season apart from Kansas City. And I just think they're living in a dream world. They they forget what happened to the Ravens last year. I mean, the team, even with Lamar fit, wasn't great. And they churned out wins. But, I mean, on the back of their defense, Lamar you really didn't look good for most of the year. You're forgetting that Snoop, uh, Snoop Huntley was a Pro Bowl QB. Of course, if Lamar's injured, they can still win games. Well, but then maybe maybe they need a wide receiver who's taller than me to do that. Like you look at their receiver room, they have like one receiver who's probably taller than me. I'm five eleven, six foot. They have the guy they drafted a couple. Um, they have Rash- uh, Bateman, the guy they drafted a couple of years from Minnesota. Six he's six, six foot. So he's about my height. Well, and everyone else o- is shorter. Odell's six foot, isn't he? I think he's. I think he's five ten, five eleven. All right, fair. He's about fair. My, exactly, and then you've got Zay Flowers, short as hell. He's good, good route runner, short. Devin Duvernay, short. Tyler Prochet, yeah. short. They've got Mark Andrews, but hopefully by then we've sort of after experiencing KC, we can work out how to defend them. Yeah, we just when we again to sort of to bring up the past, the Romeo Cara game. I noticed where he hurt himself. We damn nearly won that game. If there wasn't that sort of mix-up on the defense that led to Tucker doing the uh, longest field goal ever that then we take back in the uh, schedule release video, we could have beaten Baltimore week three in our first season, got our first win then. And then obviously I know it didn't come until late, much later with the Vikings. Again, we were a bad team. We've got a lot better now. They've had a bit of attrition. They've, their secondary especially isn't as good as it was back then. So we do have a chance. So I agree. And I hate to say it because, as I say, I really want to put the beat down on the Panthers because of last year and because of some personal things. But that that could be the hardest game. and that. But luckily, because we have the first night football beforehand, we get that little chance to prepare a bit more. We get a tiny bit more to get healthier, to sort of sit there and watch whatever Deuce does on the Sunday, work out how they're going to run the ball and then just try and stop that and make Bryce Young have to stand in the pocket and trying to deliver downfield against us with maybe a DJ Haku still coming off that weird ankle that's now like robotic or whatever it is he's done to sort that out. That's going to be the hardest game. And yet it's the one we've got the most preparation for. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how the primetime games have worked out, but 10 days to prep after KC, 
both us and Green Bay have a short week, so neither no advantage for either team. And then 10 days to prep for Carolina, an extra day, obviously, with Monday Night Football to prep for Vegas, and then the bye, and then we, we go into the rest of the schedule. It, it was really kind of worked out in a favourable way that the, the primetime games don't really seem to be affecting us in a bad way. And yeah, like I said, Carolina, the hardest team for me. I don't think they actually played great complementary football last year. I think their defence was really good and the quarterback play was just dire at times. What they've done by taking Bryce Young is have they now have the potential to be one of the better complementary football teams out there because they have a reasonable wide receiver core. They've got a good tight end. They have a very good offensive line. They've got good running backs. Now they've got a good quarterback to go alongside a very productive and young, hungry overall total defense so that's a tough team plenty of time to prep for it and it's at home Tampa Bay should be a walkover no no losing that I mean they they really should be gunning for the first overall pick there's there should be no other way for Tampa Bay um Baltimore let's see what happens I'm not penning that as a loss straight away I probably will if I had to do predictions right now but I mean I'm I'm thinking one, two, three-point game. Don't know. Nothing crazy inside a field goal. And then Vegas, it ain't a good team. It's the fourth, it's the fourth best in their division. And they're poorly coached as well. Josh McDaniel, the guy ain't got a fucking Scooby. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, he makes himself look bad every week. It's like, it's like he doesn't want to be a head coach, I'd say. So, yeah, I... I'd like to put a whooping on the, the Raiders and Tampa Bay. That that will alleviate and that will boost confidence going into the bye as well. So, yeah, it's not it's not a bad run into the bye. So running into the bye and then we go into the next four games in the schedule and it is at the Chargers Week 10, at home against the Bears Week 11, at home against Green Bay Week 12 Thanksgiving game and then at the Saints, which is a really another interesting four game stretch. Another couple of division games as we've got to catch up because we've only played one by the bye. So two in a row at home with the Bears and the Packers. Uh, the Chargers, I mean, no more a Jekyll and Hyde team out there in the National Football League. The The roster will tell you they're a top five team and the play will tell you that they're just a middle of the pack side where you know there's probably uh no head coach with a greater hot seat right now than staley so they're going to be playing for their lives if they don't already have a new head coach by this point which will be really interesting and then the saints eternally in transition at this point boys this is a time of the season coming out of by that you know winning football now needs to start happening the uh the, the no cold weather games in there getting towards the late latter end of the season um it, again, looks pretty favourable to me, lads. These are four head cases we're lining up against, aren't we? Uh, anything can happen with these teams. I think Brandon Staley and Austin Eckler are both gone by this point. Justin Herbert is trying to prop up an offence with a defence that is just so leaky. The Bears, I think the Bears are one of the most improved teams in football. I think they are going to surprise some people this year, including us. If we want to sweep the Bears, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot. They've thrown some money about, but I think they've invested in good areas. So people thinking that we'll uh, we'll do what we did last year. I don't think we will. 
I think they're going to offer a much more difficult task this time around. Packers, uh, I suppose it's hard to predict. It'll have to see how the first game goes. Pack fans could have lost Rag by now with Jordan Lovers if he's bottoming him out. The, the mood could be really low with the Green Bay fans. They could be there for the picking. And then, uh, yeah, the Derek Carlhead Saints. One week he looks like a Hall of Famer. Next week he looks like Jamarcus Russell. Like you, you never know what you get there. They've got a strong defense. They've got good foundations. But yeah, they seem to let themselves down and shoot themselves in the foot all the time. So we could, we we should expect we not expect we should be trying to go four and away. This is the if there's any stretch of the season of four games. This is the one where we go and beat because we're playing teams that have a habit of shooting themselves in the foot often, and we can capitalise on it. Yeah, I completely agree. Four and oh, like the Chargers, completely agree. It's Khalil Mack, Justin Herbert, all these weapons, it could all have blown up back in their faces by then, and we could be facing, I don't know, let's say, Staley's gone. I don't know who the head coach is. I've just quickly tried to have a look at their coaching staff. I don't know who could replace him on that staff at all. No, like no one jumps at me. Maybe Kellen Moore. Maybe he looks into getting a head coaching job, and then he uh, and then he welcomes his former team, and maybe that's his first game. I don't know when their buy is, but he could offer a tiny bit of a challenge. The Bears really depends how some of their new additions hit. I obviously I like I like the Tyreeky Stevenson addition for them because I, I was high on him, but I don't know how he'll do against our wide receivers. Has their O line sort of held up or is Field still running for his life? Green Bay, Thanksgiving. We're both coming off a short week. The fans will be riled up. This is a chance to really set the tone in the division. And then yeah, New Orleans, they're actually for me the most Jack and the Hyde team on this schedule. Because if got Derek Carr hits. They could be a really good team. They could challenge for that South. But it's if it hits. I don't know if it'll be 2016 car who was an MVP candidate or if it's like recent car who kind of like has been like Goff who was in a system too long and just sort of regressed and became meh. He doesn't have Devontae Adams now. The best receiver he's got is a Crocs Michael Thomas. And then Alvin Kamara is a running back. So we could really go for a no. But at the same time, if... Some things don't go our way. I could also see us going two and two maybe in this stretch. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? I mean, if you said to me that we go 4-0 there, I'm not surprised. But you tell me that we're playing the Chargers, Bears, Packers and Saints and we say we get two from four. I'm like, yeah, okay, I kind of see it. Like, if we lost to the Chargers in LA and we lost to the Saints in New Orleans, like, yeah, all right. Fine, probably won't argue with you. It'd be slightly disappointing, but it's not entirely unexpected. Um, yeah, ag- agreed on, on basically everything you said. The thing I remember about David Carr the most is when that Raiders team, uh, did, did they win the AFC? No, they didn't win the AFC. I think they topped the AFC. Was... They, they went they went 12 and 4 or something. Was... And then Carr broke his yeah. leg. 2016, yeah. Carl broke his leg in the final game of the season or something like yeah. that. And they looked so good and he was on fire. And whenever I think about him, that's the season I remember him for. And maybe he's never been that guy since. But 
He's got it in him. Like, there's something there. He's not... His ceiling is not a middle-of-the-road quarterback. It's right up there. It's just the problem is his floor is right down there, too. So we'll see what happens. Final stretch of the season, Chicago in Chicago, week 14. The only outdoor cold-weather game on the entire schedule for the Lions, which is unbelievable stroke of luck, given the reputation that Goff has in Jan- well, December and January. We are then... Uh, At home against Denver, that game is to be determined in terms of date because it is one of the games that can be flexed to a primetime game. So we could get another. Uh, Then we have week 16 in Minnesota, week 17 at Dallas. That's the Monday night football game, which is on a Saturday because it is on the day before New Year's Eve, 30th of December. And then we finish up at home against the Vikings. And that game is also to be determined in terms of date at the moment is a Sunday, but can be flexed to a primetime game as well. So if you include Thanksgiving, the Lions have five primetime games, four without, but five with, because come on, Thanksgiving's a primetime game. Everyone watches it. So in reality it is. And with the two flex games, the Lions could have seven primetime games this year, which is a ridiculous change from having... One scheduled with Thanksgiving last year and then effectively having two with Week 18 when that effectively got flexed. The team has come on leaps and bounds. And looking at those final five games, the Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings twice and the Cowboys. It's money time. Got to go and win the division. Maybe go and get the number one seed. Like, who knows? But the Lions have got to be targeting this, boys, and thinking that most of these teams are going to be right for the taking. Yep. It's the one that's most interesting to me is week 15. It's time for Dan Campbell to strike down his former Sith master and become the new Darth himself, Sean Payton. And it's for some reason, Denver's also one of them teams you always have funny games against. I remember two years ago when we last played them at Mile High, it was that weird flu game where like we had like 20 million players out. So we were playing like practice squatters and it was just absolutely right off of a game. This time, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, all that, we can be a lot more competitive and really put our stamp down. Chicago, cold weather, fields could just run all over us, but I'm hoping we have sync up our sleeves to sort of hold him back there. The t- Dallas, Dallas is always hard. Don't know what, I'm con- what we can do there. But the Minnesota games, those are the real, real money games. If we can win, definitely win. Week, I think week 18 will be for the potentially for the division, maybe, depending. That's why I think it'll be flexed again. I think it'll be another one where we'll have to sit here live and we have to be waiting at like half four to see the final outcome, to see what seed we are in the playoff. Because I don't think first like first seed in the NFC is probably going to happen. I think Philly's got that pretty much wrapped up. But for home field advantage in the wild card, I'd have to, I think we could be playing for that week 18. And that will put a hell of a fire under Goff, under Campbell, under Ben Johnson, all these players to go from last year where they're playing for pride almost, having missed out in the playoffs, 12 months' time to come around and be playing for home field advantage in the playoffs. What a motivation to come out week 18 and absolutely put a stomping on the Vikings. See, I'm presuming by now, well, just a guess, that Russell Wilson has either been shot out of a cannon or he's been taught run out with pitchforks 
because no one likes him now and the Broncos are going nowhere quickly. I'm sure of that. I reckon it's going to be another shitty year, Wilson. I don't care who the coach is. Sean Payton is not fixing his god-awful ego and he is falling off a cliff talent-wise. So if Denver beat us, I will blow a gasket because if we, that time of the year is crucial. Like I say, by now, like I say, we're looking to hopefully wrap up the North. Ideally, be like I say, before the first of the two Vikings games, I really don't want them flexed. The thought of like God seven, like one AM things makes me want to kill myself personally. It's just <laughs> awful. But if they're getting flexed, it probably means we're doing something right or in contention for something. The Bears by now. Uh, could be running empty. Like I say, they could have picked up some injuries. Fields might have slowed down. The rookie lineman might have struggled. Like last year, the second game against the Bears, we put we opened a kind of wall pass because they were by now they were flagging. And by this could very happen by now. As long as we're healthy, I expect it to be the same. I hate like Minnesota two times in three weeks. Like I say I, that. That puts the fear of God in me because there's a good chance those games are going to be absolutely crucial. And the thought of, like, say, Justin Jefferson might now have another receiving title is absolutely in phenom form. Kirk Cousins is still, in my opinion, a very good quarterback. I say, I and like, I say, we'll probably still have a good year. I know they've, their pass rush, like, has lost all its juice. Danielle Hunter by now has probably been dealt at the deadline. He's probably sick to death of the place. He could be gone. Zedarius is gone. Their defense, I'd say, Thielen's gone. They, they've lost a lot, haven't they? They're, they're pretty depleted. But they could be like a wounded animal right now. They could still very much be in the hunt to win the North. So th- those are going to be tough battles. And Dallas, yeah. All right. Dallas is like where you see like the drawing of the horse in the first half looks like. <laughs> the back half looks like a, a donkey that you wouldn't even turn into glue. Like, it's that beat up. Like, their offense can be so good, their defense can be so rank at times. So, who knows? The Cowboys, we don't like playing against them. We never seem to really do that well against the Cowboys. It's been a few moments for you. I mean, we played really well against them last year defensively, which was not exactly our strong point for the remainder of the season, but our offense was just dire in that game. It was the one game last year where we really laid an egg. I think by now, if we get to like 10 and a half wins, that's kind of like where I'm at right now. And I'm probably happy. If you give me 11, if you offer me 11 and six right now, I'd bite your hand off. Whether that wins the division or not, that gets us in the playoffs. I guess that that's kind of, That'd be like the dream scenario for me. Yeah, so we'll get on to that in a sec. I just think that what you said about Minnesota is absolutely right. At the end of the day, if you go into week 16 and you are two games in front of Minnesota or two games behind, destiny's in your hands. You win those two games and you win the game in between and you win the division. And that is, I mean, scary or great, depending on whether you're behind or in front. But, you know... Whatever you've done up to that. I guess it's the same as any other team when you play them once at the start and once at the end of the year. It just condenses it. But in some ways, it kind of feels like the rest of the schedule just doesn't matter as much. Like, win those two games and you're laughing in this division. So, 
I mean, way to put the important games at the end. Right, let's just crack on with a little season prediction of, of the wins and losses, and let's frame it like this. I want you to give me a ceiling and a floor and an expectation. Just what is what is the minimum that you think this team can achieve? In fact, so four, four different ones then, since it's only three of us. The minimum you think we can get, the minimum acceptable to you, what you think will happen, and what's the ceiling? I know that's quite a lot to take in, but it's only four things per person. So I'll take the baton since I threw down the gauntlet. I will say that I think the minimum wins this team can achieve is eight. I really think that when you have a look at the teams on this schedule, that if you just get some bad luck in there, an injury doesn't go your way, a ball doesn't bounce the right way every now and again, a bad ref call here and there. I think eight wins for a team that won three games twice in a row to the year before last and the year before that. Like, we're not that far removed from being a bad team. And what if the players have progressed actually regress? We're not considering the regression factor when we're looking at what might happen to this team. So I think eight is the minimum of what I think could happen. The minimum acceptable for me is 500 record. So, you know, eight, eight and one or nine and seven, really, nine and eight, realistically, is the minimum acceptable to me. If you don't get nine wins, I'm starting to question what's going on here because for all intents and purposes, I think you drafted well. I think you've developed players well. And if it fails, it's probably going to come down to coaching. And that's a really worrying factor for me. So nine wins is the point where I, I'm not questioning anything. I'm just saying maybe it was just an unlucky season and we go again next year. I think we'll win 11 games. And then maybe that's a bit high. It's less high than some absolute chuggers of the Kool-Aid who are going 13 wins because like very few teams ever win 13 games ever. But 11 wins is eminently achievable. And I think the absolute ceiling for the Lions is 15 wins. Because the only two games that I think we could like nailed on lose is Kansas City week one and one of probably like Baltimore and Dallas and Baltimore just because of the ceiling of that team like I said I think Carolina's a harder game but the ceiling of Baltimore's higher if they just catch fire that's going to be hard to live with and Dallas away as Ryan said is just hard so I think we can win every other game in there and maybe one of two of those last two so that's my lot and I want to give my thanks to Derek Bo Barrett for the 50 bits on Twitch. Really, really great for us. So thank you for that. Who wants to take up the bat on? I will. So the minimum I think this team will win is seven. I think I think we will see regression on offense. That's that I think that could that's what could hold us back. That yeah. What is acceptable? is nine. I agree. Anything worse than last year is unacceptable. I will not have it. Like I said, because I can't take two steps forward and one step back. So what I think the Lions will do, I think, I think 11-5-1 and one, I think is is where I'm at. I'm not... The, the very ceiling for me is only 13. I just don't look at us and think that team will, could potentially max out and go 15-2. and two. I just, I'm just not there yet. Like I said, ultimately, I think 
one thing will define the year, and that's Jared Goff. Can he put together back-to-back stellar years? Like I say, the talks of the negotiation. If we're, if we're doing really well, have, has he got the new deal by now? Like I say, uh, that's kind of always going to be like the back of a lot of people's minds. Like I say, this feels like the contract year. He balls out, he gets the bag. If he doesn't, everyone's suddenly doubting him and like, oh, what are we going to do? Not just so, yeah. I think Jared is the key to this year. If he does what he did last year and our defence is top 20, we're winning 13 games because that 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 just it just has to happen. So yeah, I'll go seven, nine, eleven and a half, and thirteen. Ash. Yep. Seven minimum. Just for obvious reasons. There's some teams on there that we just can't not be obviously touch wood, don't want to jinx anything that obviously things can derail if something bad goes happen like golf injury week one obviously expectations have to change but if we can guarantee a certain level of baseline of like healthiness and that seven wins is the minimum for me just just to point out to people as well that's not the acceptable amount that's just what we think is the minimum capable of this team sorry before we get the angry comments because we've already had a few going seven but anyway ash sorry minimum acceptable again yeah match last year I can accept in my head if we go like whatever it was nine and eight last year I can in my head I can accept that if there's certain like we can see the certain signs of progression let's say the secondary shows progress uh, shows the new additions in that jail well we can see the coaching there is going well the rookies do well we see some step ups Bit of regression offense, obviously, because I think last year was a best case scenario in terms of some of the outcomes. So I can accept in my head at minimum meeting last year. What I think we'll do 11, 11 to 12 wins. 11, if you if if you can go like 11, 6, and 1, we get that tie. Let's say, I don't know, one of the division games goes weird and we somehow tie it. Obviously, I can see that happening. It's, we obviously did it against Steelers a couple of years ago. We just seem to be one of those teams that always, every couple of years, finds a way to tie a game and think it could hit us this year. Ceiling, 14. 14 wins. Casey, probably a loss. One of the divisional games, probably against... I can see one of the games against Green Bay maybe being a loss just because of variance. And then, yeah, maybe a loss against Dallas... Uh, Dallas, four, but I think 14 is an obtainable ceiling for us easily. All right, so that is the schedule and that is the season's expectations before the real training camp stuff has gotten started. Ryan, I know that you were potentially on for 90 minutes and you got your parents around, so I don't know if you have time to stick around looking at the first six games in depth or if it's time to jump off. Uh, I think I will jump off. Like I said, I was up at half seven for my the new first day at the new job too. Congrats for that, Ooh. by the way. So yeah, that's great stuff. Uh, was it good? Yep, it's. I kind of feel like Mark Corrigan and Peep Show when he see he's sick and he says it's like someone's trying to fit the entire like radio times in my head. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've learned a lot of things. So it's been crammed in here. Congrats for that, man. Well done for 
uh, Bradford as well. So fingers crossed for the second game next week. And um, we'll see you on Monday. Yep. Maybe. I'll see you guys soon. See you Cheers, later. Right. right. Ash, first six games of the season in a bit more depth. And let's start with Kansas City. In free agency, they lost some really notable people. Orlando Brown Jr., uh, Juan Thornhill, Rojo, uh, also left Frank Clark, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, who else is on there who's notable? Juju Smith-Schuster, Brian Edwards, Colleen Saunders, Miko Hardman, Andrew Wiley, all people that were making an impact for this team. And looking at replacements at tackle, they brought in Jawan Taylor, uh, to replace Frank Clark, they've got Charles Omenu from from the 49ers. Otherwise, I don't think a lot of this free agency for them. And then in the draft, they've retooled a bit with Felix Anduike Uzoma, the, the edge from Kansas State. Rishi Rice, the wide receiver from SMU. Wanya Morris, the tackle from Oklahoma. Chamari Connor, the safety from Virginia Tech. BJ Thompson, the linebacker from Stephen F. Austin. Keandre Coven, the defensive tackle from Texas. And Nick Jones, the cornerback from Ball State. What do you make of Kansas City's offseason? I think, yeah, it's just a gentle retool. I really liked the Nick Jones pick for them. I know I was hiring him for us, maybe taking him. I know he is a local standout. Good pool production. That's something they've kind of lacked last year. I've Brooke Duffy's stable. Sneed had a really good year a couple of years ago, regressed a bit. I know uh, people are high on Joshua Williams. The last year's uh, HBCU pick, he's good. But uh, Nick Jones gives him a bit more playmaking in the backfield. Obviously, they've uh, line, their linebacking core is really good. Nick Bolton, really, really good. Drew Trankel, one of their signings this year from, I want to say, the Chargers. Good coverage backer. Willie Gay when he doesn't have the off-field issues, is a really good downhill linebacker. Obviously, they drafted last year my least favourite linebacker in Leo Chanel, who actually kind of hit and put a bit of egg on my face, especially in the Super Bowl. They've got a really good linebacking core. Reloaded on the defensive line. Obviously, losing the postseason sack lead is a big hit, but hopefully George Karloftis can make a big jump for them. Offensive line's really up there. Receivers is the big issue though maybe that's where weakness i know they've got mvs who's a speedster tony speedster sky Moore didn't really hit last year but can show some stuff this uh draft uh, she rise richie james they've got a lot of like wide receiver twos and threes i don't know who's going to be the one for them and that's maybe something we can exploit maybe but obviously that's a point aside probably their receiver one is kelsey that's the focal point they're him if you can stop find a way to stop kelsey maybe keep Mahomes a bit flustered. We have a chance to shut down their offense and maybe we can just grind out against that defense, but it is going to be an absolute barnstorm, I think. I think it's just going to be blow for blow. We pass on them, run on them. They do the same to us and it's just going to be back and forth and it's maybe whoever gets the ball last is the guy that's going to come out with the victory and we uh, to kick off the season. Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, if I look at the team... And I do a like-for-like replacement with the guys who've come in for the guys that have gone. I think his team is much worse. Like, yeah. a lot worse. I do not think that John Taylor is as good as as um, Orlando Brown Jr. Now, Orlando Brown wasn't exactly a fit with Kansas City. But I did think he was a good tackle just on an island. And, you know... I think with the Donovan Smith signing, 
that's kind of stabilised. So Brown was a really good run blocker and obviously a, a left tackle, but not good in pass pro. Donovan Smith is a bit more stable in terms of pass pro. He does struggle a bit with power, I think, and he's a bit of a holding machine at times. But he just gives you that sort of consistent, if he's healthy, he's probably in a top 16 to 20 left tackle. Probably won't give up too many pressures. But I think that's what they were looking for. Someone that's a bit worse in pass blocking, but just gives Mahomes a bit more protection on the blind side. So I think Taylor's more of a replacement for the guy who went to the commanders, who was their guy, uh, Nick Algretti. Um, so I think he's an upgrade on Nick Gretti, I think, but I do think that Smith is maybe like for like with Orlando Brown. You lose a bit in run blocking, but gain a bit in pass blocking. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, fair point. Um, Omenu is a solid player. I don't think he's Frank Clark. I don't think that's contentious. Clark, he's got the you know postseason sack record for a reason. Very productive player. Maybe wasn't at the peak of his powers in most recent seasons, but he was still a player that had to be accounted for. You very well talked about the wide receivers. I don't think much of this wide receiver court at all. I'm sorry, your wide receiver one is... Marquez Valdez Scantling, your wide receiver two is Kadarius Moore, and your wide receiver three is Sky Moore. Sky Moore, who barely played in his rookie season. Kadarius Tony got traded away. Like they had gadget touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and so they're well thought of. But these are two players who aren't great right now, could change. They've also brought in Rashi Rice, and just on a like for like basis, I don't think he's as good as Juju Smith Schuster. I think he could be. I, I am high on what Rice could be in the NFL. But he's a rookie, rookie wide receiver. And sometimes they hit year one. But I think they really hit year one at that sort of top end and just don't have Rice at that level. And for defense, it's good. But, I mean, this team at times has been a bottom five unit and then at times has been a top five unit. It's, it's extremely up and down. So yeah. I don't think much, generally speaking, of this Kansas City team. In general, like you say, Kelsey's the guy, and then the O-line is good. Pacheco obviously had a really good uh, season last year, but Mahomes is the X-factor. He's the guy that makes it all click. So I still don't think this is going to be a win for the Lions, but I just think the difference between the teams is much smaller than people think. Yeah, 100%. Moving on to week two, and I've got to load all of my blooming links because I haven't actually done it in advance, like a good little producer. Um Let's have a look at the free agency period for the Seahawks. If the internet wants to work, does it want to work? I don't know. Here we go. Seattle. They've ended up losing uh, a few pieces, but I don't think it's anything to write home about. So LJ Collier, Penny Hart, Puna Ford is someone that a lot of people wanted here. Travis Homer, Carl Fuller, Marquis Goodwin, Jonathan Abram, Quinton Jefferson, Rashad Penny. Like, how many of these guys are actually moving the needle? And then moving into people that haven't been signed yet. Shelby Harris maybe leads that group. Former Lion Justin Coleman. I mean, I'm not worrying too much about anyone that they've lost so far in this offseason. And people they've gained. Draymond Jones got an absolute monster deal. Three years, $51 million in the defensive end room, although he's more of an interior guy, isn't he? He's like a yeah, it's, three, it's three, a three four. Yes, yeah. yeah. A five technically three four, yes. Uh they brought back Bobby Wagner. They 
brought in Devin Bush. They brought in Evan Brown. These are all people who are going to play significant snaps for this team. Jaron Reed as well. This is a team that's lost a lot of names. I mean, and a lot of names. They brought in a lot less than they've brought in. But the people they've lost are not moving the needle for me. The people they've brought in are. And then you have a look at the draft picks that they've made too. Uh, does that want to load either? Bloody thing. Uh, Devin Witherspoon, obviously, at five. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Derek Hall, the edge from Auburn. Zach Charbonnet, running back at UCLA. Anthony Bradford, the offensive lineman at LSU. Cameron Young, the defensive lineman from Miss State. Mike Morris, edge from Michigan. Uh, Olawatimi, the center from Michigan as well. Jarek Reed, the second, the safety from New Mexico. And Kenny McIntosh, the running back from Georgia in round seven. Ash, this team absolutely smashed the offseason. They've got to be up there with some of the biggest winners. In a way, yeah. I didn't like the two running back picks for them. They already picked Kenneth Walker last year, who was an def- uh, offensive rookie of the year candidate. So what do they go and do? Draft another power back in Jacques Charbonnet and then draft Kenny McIntosh, who early in the draft cycle was seen as a good receiving back option, but kind of fell off as um, testing came out. So while they have run the offices, and in some ways they've really reloaded that secondary, that secondary now in the space of two seasons has gone from being absolute dross with Trey Flowers and that back there to the new Legion of Boom with Weatherspoon, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant last year who played really well. They've got quite obviously Andre back there. They've really reset, like reset that and got a good secondary, kind of like how we're hoping to bring him back. Wagner as a sort of veteran option is quite good. But that D tackle room, that defensive line for them is a weakness. Draymond Jones for me is about comparable to what they had in Shelby Harris. Jaron Reed's okay. He can flash. Nose tackle Brian Moan. Like, honestly, one of their UDFA signings, and it's someone I know a lot about with Robert Cooper from FSU. He legit could make their roster and be their nose tackle too. That's how weak their D line is. And that's something we hopefully can really attack. Their O line's good, but we know how to play Brown. Decent in pass pro, but get a block, run blocking, not so good. Tackles are decent. Damian Lewis is a good run blocker. But Phil Hayes? Huh? Who? Like, that's a real weakness. They still have... They, they've lost... They've made some lateral moves, but there's, there's still holes there. Maybe in the space of the next couple of months, they can fill some of those. But it's not an all-round... Like, it's not... I don't know. It's not a roster, again, that's scaring me at all. There's obviously pieces there. Jackson Smith and Jigba, really good pick. Devin Riverspoon, really good pick. But they haven't really addressed all of the things that they needed to, in my opinion. They still needed another offensive line piece. They still needed another defensive tackle piece, maybe. Maybe another edge rusher because Daryl Taylor, uh, Chenzo Rosu aren't really scaring me. Brian Maffey could maybe do something in year two, but... I'm not holding out hopes for that. They still needed. They still need a tiny bit more for me to reach their heights last year. It's like us, I think. They hit their ceiling last year, and I think they're going to see some real uh, regression this season. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? This Seattle team was up there in terms of preseason predictions for having the number one overall pick, and they made the playoffs. Like this yeah. is a team that massively overperformed expectations, but it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to how well they drafted. It speaks to how well they coached and, you know, just what the, what these players put into that team. It's commendable. 
And I don't see a huge amount of regression with this team. I think that Evan Brown's an upgrade and Alabatimi to learn behind him at centre is going to be really interesting to see who actually ends up being centre one come the end of the year. Abraham Luke has had a tremendous first season and Charles Cross did as well. That offensive line is pretty good when it comes down to it. They also got a backup guard in Anthony Bradford who could come in and, and start some games later on in the year. So that offensive line is up there. In Noah Fant, you've got one of the better tight ends in the league. They got that third receiver they've been wanting so much. In Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, Kenny McIntosh, you might have a top five wide receiver uh, running back unit. And then Geno, Geno Smith. I mean, who knows what sort of Geno you get, but like he was a top 15 quarterback last year. And in that offense, it sounds pretty quarterback friendly to me. So... Okay, fine. Maybe it sounds a bit like the Lions in terms of the defense maybe not quite being there, but the offense being really good. But then you have a look at the defense, and yeah, they've got a hole here or there, but linebacker core underpinned by Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks. I mean, that's that's going to do some damage. There's leadership there, and there's really solid play if Jordan Brooks comes back from his injury, which I hope he does. The back four of Witherspoon, Woolen, Diggs, and Jamal Adams is potentially the best deep starting DB room in the NFL. So that back seven bar one linebacker place, and let's face it, everyone plays nickel. You know, that looks really good. They signed uh, Julian Love to a two-year, $40 million deal. He's a backup. Like, this team, you're going to have to gas them on the ground because it's going to be really hard to pass on this team. And then they got the offense to go to war. So anyone who's looking at this Seattle team and thinking it's going to be easy are oh, living in an absolute dream world to me. It's all about how well Geno Smith plays, because if he plays well, God knows how this game's going to go. Uh, let's move it on to the next one, and this is going to be a really interesting game, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, their off-season was one of heavy ammunition, they have invested quite well. Now, they've lost Rashad Fenton, Elijah Wilkinson. They've lost Amir Bird, Michael Ford, Matt Dickerson, Marcus Mariota, Isaiah Oliver, E.C. Hayward, who didn't exactly do much for them, Rashad Evans, Anthony Ferkser, Eric Harris. I don't care about any of them, really. Nick Katrowski, whatever his name is, I can't say it, but whatever. And in terms of players that they've brought in, I mean, Jesse Bates, premier safety talent, four years, $64 million. David Onyemata, three years, $35 million at defensive tackle. They re-signed Caleb McGarry at right tackle, three years, $34.5 million. I'm counting it because he would have been out the door without it. Yeah. Caden Ellis, uh, three years, $21 million. Taylor Heineke is a backup course back, two years, $14 million. Let's face it, he might be starting at some point this year. Then they've also brought in Calais Campbell, Mike Hughes, Bud Dupree, Mac Hollins. They've uh, they re-signed Jermaine Effetti for $1.3 million. And whatever you think about Effetti, that's good business. And Scotty Miller has flashed at times for Tampa Bay. He comes in as a backup option for the Atlanta wide receiver core, which is, you know, not too bad now. And have a look at their draft as well. Bijan Robinson at eight. Matthew Berger on the tackle, who I really wanted at 38 from Syracuse. Zach Harrison from Ohio State Park. Phillips Nickel from Utah. DeMarco Helliams, the safety from Alabama. And Joe Vaughn Gwynn, the guard from South Carolina. This is another team, Ash, that 
has gone heavy this offseason. And for me, apart from the Zach Harrison pick, I really like their business. Yeah, I agree. Well, I agree for the most part, except for one thing that you said. Outside of their wide receivers, don't scare me at all, unless you count Cole Pitts as well, which, to be honest, he is. He is a wide receiver. He's basically a slot wide receiver. He's a mood tight end slot wide receiver, big slot for them. Their true starter at tight end is Johnny Smith. But outside of him, Drake London obviously had a lot of high last year, but doesn't really seem to fit their kind of offense. It was a weird pick. And the others, Mac Hollins and Scotty Miller being their stars. Scotty Miller's a decent slot receiver, but they're dime a, they're dime a dollar, like nothing, not much. Mac Hollins, eh. Yeah. Kadol Hodge flashed for us, but what's he done outside of that? Frank Darby, Penny Hart. The, the name that stands out the most is Jared Bernhardt, the guy that obviously burnt us and think it was in preseason last year, the former lacrosse guy. He kind of scared, like, flashbacks a bit. But outside of that, what else is there? Like, Bergeron, really, he's a really good pick. I liked him as sort of what we wanted, people wanted from Darnell Wright at 18, but a bit later. He could, he's a good, he could start away, starting for God right now. If Jake Matthews, when I think his contract runs out at the end of this year or next year, he could move over and be their starting left tackle, I think. Effetti's a decent backup, but if he's a consistent starter, you're a bit scared. Right side of the line with Lindstrom and uh, McGarry, really, really good. I, I remember Lindstrom's draft cycle. I wanted him at, uh, for us in like the second or third round. Obviously, then we got they got taken in a second by Atlanta and we got Jonah Jackson, so kind of worked out. But that offense, if Ridder can hit and maybe get these wide receivers working, and elevate them a tiny bit, it could be a really good offense, but they're obviously they're focused on the ground with Bijan. Tyler Algier, who really hit from BYU last year. Cordell Patterson, who's just that amazing gadget guy. And then they have invested in the defense to make it work with Kyle Campbell. David Onyemata, they brought in across from the other side. So their D-line is really good in terms of starters. Linebackers outside of Troy Anderson. But Dupree hasn't really done too much since he's left... Pittsburgh, in my opinion, and then Lorenzo Carter is a decent, like, edge free for most teams. And then outside of, and then obviously Ebikezi, with their. I guess Ebikezi yeah. is a good player for a backup. Yeah. Well, there's definitely, yeah. But he hasn't lived up to the hype. I remember uh, some, uh, some places, PFF, having him uh, as a better impact rookie than Aiden Hutchison would have been. So he's a, he's a, he's a decent backup, but it's, he's a speed rusher. He's a bit light for me still, unless he's put on the pounds. I haven't checked his weight recently, but if he hasn't put on the pounds, you can sort of almost stonewall him off. I don't think he'll do much against Penne if they line up against each other. And then obviously they're focused on resetting that secondary, bringing in Jesse Bates to be the free safety, Ant's former draft crush, which he granted strong safety. Obviously, Jeff is projected to start by the for them by ASBM, but they've got Mike Hughes, the guy obviously relegated Jeff to the bench for us at the end of last year, bring, brought in Clark Phillips, who I know people think of as a slot. He could start on the outside. He's got some really good athleticism. Trey Flowers is their left cornerback forecourt in TSPN. He's got starting experience. Javelin Guidry, he's really good slot cornerback. He was underrated for the Jets, I think. So their defense has got a lot better since, well, this offseason and maybe... I think they've got a new coach as well, so he can bring in some new stuff. It's But it's going to just ride on Ritter again in that run game. If we can shut down the run game and keep Ritter in the pocket and dare him to beat us deep, I think we can beat them all day long. This is the fear with, with Atlanta, isn't it? The team is potentially ready to win. Like, overall, 
I wouldn't say it's a Super Bowl caliber team outside of quarterback, but it's a playoff caliber team for me. But Ridder's going to be the one that ultimately decides whether that's true or false. And I was a big Ridder believer, but he didn't exactly look amazing when he came in in relief last year. So let's see what happens. But in Taylor Heineke, they've got a guy who knows how to win. So at backup, if 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 Ridder doesn't do the business, but we'll be certainly facing Ridder about barring injury week three. So it will be Ridder. But for the rest of the season, if Heineke comes in, I think that team has got a really solid chance of making the playoffs. All right, we'll move on to week four, which is the Green Bay Packers. Really interesting team to have a look at. Obviously, lost Aaron Rodgers in the trade. Also lost Jaron Reed, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Dean Lowry, uh, Robert Tonyan, Freeze Barnes, Adrian Amos, Mason Crosby, Mercedes Lewis, Vernon Scott, uh, Long Sap is also not there as well. Oh dear. Uh, they've signed go, yeah. um, <laughs> so they've lost quite a few players. And who have they retooled it with? Matthew Orzich, Long Sapper, as I've just alluded to, and to Tarvarius Moore and Jonathan Owens. They're the only three new signings they have. They also re signed Justin Hollands, Eric Wilson, Dalian Levitt, uh, Jonathan Ford, and Keyshawn Nixon. In terms of draft picks, Lucas Van Ness at 13, Edge, Iowa. Luke Musgrave, tight end, Oregon State. Jaden Reed, wide receiver, Michigan State. Tucker Craft, tight end, South Dakota State. Colby Wooden, Edge, Auburn. Sean Clifford, quarterback, Penn State. Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver, Virginia. Carl Brooks, defensive tackle, Bowling Green. Anders Carlson, kicker, Auburn. Carrington Valentine, cornerback, Kentucky. Lou Nichols, the third, running back from Central Michigan. Anthony Johnson Jr., safety, Iowa State, and Grant Dubose, wide receiver, Charlotte. They had a huge amount of picks. But, Ash, damn, they needed it because they lost the absolute world. Uh, did they invest well in those draft picks? Because they didn't bring anyone in in free agency because, frankly, they can't. Well, they never do in free agency anyway. That was uh, Cameron's big gripe with them is they never really invested in free agency and longer may it continue. But I think they have... Unfortunately, for the mo for with some of their picks they have, Sean Clifford was an absolute like why, especially with who's available at the time. Just why? I know Danny Etling was projected to be a backup quarterback, but is Sean Clifford really that much of an upgrade on him? I don't know. The Titans, yeah, they they got athleticism, but I know that Riz wasn't high on one. I think it was uh, it was Musgrave. Athleticism, if they're going to change their scheme and go more sort of like two tight end personnel on base, I can see it working. But at the same time, what did they offer in terms of blocking? The One of the picks I actually really did like, and it's someone I was high on, he was initially in the transfer portal at the end of this college season, but then he declared Grant DuBose is a really good wide receiver for Charlotte. He was speedy. He's basically like what um, we got with Antoine Green from USAR pick. He's like that, but with a smaller school and I think slightly taller. I think he's about one inch taller. So it's very, very good pick for them. That's a bit scary. Lou Nichols, obviously, we heard a bit about. Local guy, really good running back. Boy, he's buried in that depth chart. Might not make it uh, to the 53. They're, uh, and yeah, they're just they're, they're secondary outside of, outside of J.A. just doesn't scare me. I know that's probably controversial because they 
for the most part, they are good starting uh, like defense, but their safety room is just barren. I know Darnell Savage has been moved here, there, and everywhere. One week he's a slot corner, next week he's a slot, uh, nine back, and the next week he's a free safety. That poor guy, after his first couple of good years in the league, has been just gone off a cliff. Last year, I know they drafted Tariq Carpenter from Georgia Tech, who's a good sort of safety, but will he see time? Rizal Douglas, yeah. All right, but not exactly a world beater. I know they've got Eric Stokes they drafted last year, but he did he really hit? Kayshawn Nixon is their cornerback four. He's a returner. He's Jamal Agnew. He's Jamal Agnew reborn and with part of a cheese hat on. Nah. Rashawn Gary, if he comes back from his injury, could be scary, but Preston Smith sort of didn't do that much last year. Lucas Van Ness at 13. The dude's, as I said when we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, he's Bluetooth, his hands free, doesn't know how to use his hands when his pass rush is. So if he goes up against Decker, he's going to be absolutely screwed because Decker's got the tech level bit to beat him. And if he goes up against Saul, Saul will absolutely outmuscle him and then just put him to the floor. So that was a wasted pick, in my opinion. And then Kenny Clark's good. Devontae White, if he hits and takes that second yard draw, uh, jump, can be good. But there's no tackle, uh, tackle TJ Slayton. Who's that? Might as well put Kenny Clark back into nose and then start Carl Brooks because I think that may be a lot better start and free for them than what they've currently got. It's they've got the ability, they've got the ceiling there, and they've got the reputation of past the uh, three back to back 13 win team uh, years before this season just gone. They could get there again if Love hits and some of these defensive players hit, but their floor is a lot lower than it was a couple of years ago. They're absolutely they're absolutely scrapping now. They could win 10 games and may become second in division they could also only win three and become last there's no in between for them credit to jeff risden for the bluetooth reference yeah. there for for lucas van ness from the detroit lions podcast and lions wire and i utterly agree with it i mean they have lost so much and i really dislike who they've invested in outside of Jaden reed who i think they overdrafted i yeah. don't think he's worth the 50th overall pick I think he's a good player. I prefer Tucker Craft over Luke Musgrave. I was in that boat as well, but I I wasn't as low as Mus on Musgrave as as Riz was. But we'll see about that because Riz knows his shit. So I trust him on that. But Van Ness, none of us wanted him at eighteen. Never mind thirteen. So I think that's just awful pick. You're right. If Love hits, this could be a good team. But I mean, that's a cracking if, isn't it? That's a big yeah. big if. And, you know, the offensive line, if it doesn't protect Rodgers, then is it a good offensive line now? Like with Rodgers, elite kind of setting protections and reading coverages and getting the ball out quick if he has to. Jordan Love, probably not those things. So is there more sacks given at now because he's holding the ball a bit longer or he's not calling out the protections properly? I mean, Josh Myers is the centre, so I'm not sure you're relying on him to call out the protections. Maybe, I don't know, it's got to be the centre or the quarterback, hasn't it? So, like, yeah, yeah, I just, I fear for that. And then the defence, I mean, overall, it's a list of names that kind of worries me a little bit, but, like, I'm a bit nonplussed by it as well. McDuffie's a guy in there that I think could be an interesting player, but, you know, he's a backup. Uh, Enigbare is an interesting player, but he's a backup. Rashawn Gary coming back into the fold is going to be big for them. If he hits it and Preston Smith hits it, then you you got the makings of a really good defense once again. But let's see. And then they've got a rookie kicker. 
just drafted one. You know, the the white-haired double doink merchant is gone. And uh, and Anders Carlson is in. And, you know, is that going to hurt the team? They've got Pat O'Donnell at Punter, who's not exactly good either. So, you know, this is a team that potentially got worse on special teams, despite it being the worst part of their team, and also downgraded on offense. And I would argue didn't upgrade on defense. So overall, a much worse team for Green Bay, I think. Yep, 100%. <laughs> Two more to go through. We've got Carolina and Tampa Bay to come up before we get out of Dodge. And let's have a look at Carolina's offseason. This team has lost a little bit. Uh, A lot of quarterbacks, but maybe none that matter. Um, Sam Darnold's out of there, as is PJ Walker. Miles Harps felt the cornerback. Corey Littleton, the linebacker. Otherwise, we also have Matt Ioannidis, the center Pat Elfline, uh, Andre Roberts, Rashad Higgins. Not a huge amount. Ioannidis probably is, for me, the biggest player on that list for the team. But they've invested too. Adam Thielen, the wide receiver coming over from Minnesota. Miles Sanders, the, the running back from Philadelphia. Von Bell, the safety, comes over from Cincinnati. Also, the tight end, Hayden Hurst. Shai Tuttle, the, the former Saint, the defensive tackle. These are all guys on fairly hefty contracts. Bradley Bozeman, the centre. These are all guys who have been given more than $17 million contracts over a number of years. Anti Dalton comes in as, as the backup quarterback to mentor Bryce Young. And there's no better for me backup in the league in terms of mentoring a player. They've also got DJ Chark. They've got Justin McCray. This is a team that really, you know, invested in this offseason once again, despite trading away a load of draft picks. They're going for it this year. And the drafts, we all know that obviously they ended up drafting um, uh, Bryce, Young Bryce Young at one. And then they took Jonathan Mingo at 39, wide receiver Ole Miss, DJ Johnson, the edge from Oregon, Chandler Savannah, the guard from NC State, and Jamie Robinson, the safety from Florida State. No tears, please. Um, <laughs> how how do you think they did this offseason? Obviously, they traded the farm to go and get the quarterback at one overall. But, I mean, this is a team which is potentially ready to go. I think they're winning the uh, NFC South this season. And it pains me to say it, for, as I keep saying, best friend is a Panthers fan. And he will absolutely love it, to rub it in our, my face if they beat us again this year and they win the South. Because they have absolute, they have invested really well. Not only have they got a new quarterback who is a lot more stable than the ones they've had before, they brought in a guy, a uh, head coach, who has mentored really uh, QBs really well. Aside from Indianapolis, where he kept swinging the veterans, he was the OC when Wentz had his rookie season and nearly, and in the season after, where he had that borderline MVP candidacy before he tore his ACL and then mentored. Big Dick Nick to the Super Bowl and a win against the Patriots. Getting him wide receivers with Adam Thielen, DJ Chark drafting Jonathan Mingo, getting a new running back who Juice knows well in Miles Sanders who worked him in Philadelphia, as well as they already had Juba Hooded, who's a really good running back too. Hayden Hurst is a good blocking receiving option at tight end, which they kind of needed because Ian Thomas was a good blocker, didn't do that much. Tremble was an okay receiving tight end, but doesn't do that much. Hurst is a good balanced guy. They've invested O-line the past couple of seasons with Vecchio Kwan, obviously last year. Bradley Bozeman's probably a lateral move at centre, perhaps even a tiny upgrade. Moten's still a decent right tackle, obviously drafting Zavala, who could, by the end of the season, be a starting at guard. 
very good like investment there. Then obviously in the defense, the defense is the wild card though, because obviously they're changing from four three base to three four base with the bringing in of the former Broncos DC. So they've completely having to change their defensive scheme in a way. So they've brought in Henry Anderson, a guy from Broncos, to sort of communicate that new scheme. They've got the, um, Brian Burns back at outside linebacker where he excelled for Florida State. They've got Shaq Thompson back sort of inside doing his thing at coverage. And then they've got really good young corners in JC Horn, CJ Henderson, obviously drafted Jamie Robinson, who can learn behind Jamie Chin in that slot, uh, slot role. They've got really good upside and they could honestly hit it. I could see them winning nine, 10 games potentially. I think they could sweep their division at least. And it scares me because they can, if they hit against us, they could put another beating down those. It might be a bit closer than hopefully it was last year, but if things go their way against us, they could honestly win it by 10, 15 points. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? If you have a look at them versus the Saints, I mean, the Saints, the established team, new quarterback, but not a lot in terms of gains and losses. They've kind of just maintained what they have, maybe a couple of, of losses in there, but otherwise very much the same team that we've come to know with perhaps best quarterback play. So if you want a reliable team, maybe the Saints are it in the South, but if you want a team that has got a ceiling, like a real ceiling, this Carolina team is it. It's just maybe their range of outcomes is wider. You know, they can win and lose far more games than the Saints can. So let's see what happens. But I totally agree with you. I mean, that wide receiver core, maybe it doesn't have a true wide receiver one. But at the end of the day, when you are five or six deep with players I respect in Thielen, Chark, Marshall Jr., Mingo, Chenault Jr. and Shai Smith, that's six players that I legitimately think can damage a team in some way. Chenault might be a gadget player, but you know what? Gadget players have a place at wide receiver five. Like, they just do. So I respect this Carolina team highly. And for me, that defense is going to fire. You know, when you've got Xavier Woods and Von Bell manning it at the back, you've got JC Horn is fantastic. And Luvu had a really good season. Shaq Thompson's the leader of that defense, but you've still got Brian Burns and Derek Brown has come on a little bit too like it scares me it genuinely does and so it comes down to quarterback play again as well like what's Bryce Young going to do when he comes in does he start week one Andy Dalton if he starts you know do they get off to a winning beginning because this is going to be a momentum team it really is like if they get a win or two under their belt I can see them really kind of rolling upwards if they lose the first game or two it could be a tough season for them. So it, it comes down to that for me. But I, I am not going to get my hopes up about that game because there's enough in there for me to kind of take stock and 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 just pause a little bit and, and think about it because te- uh, fans are putting a W against that game far too easily for me. 100%. It's... Liverpool uh, just scored again. <laughs> Yeah, 3-0, Trent just hit a free kick. Right, last game that we're profiling, last game that we're profiling today, and then we'll do the final 11 games of the season this time next week. We are doing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, this is a team very much in transition. Maybe it's a team which is tanking. And yet, you look at the business that they've done, and I don't think it's awful given the place that this team was at when Tom Brady retired. They've brought, oh, they've lost Keanu Neal, 
uh, the safety who we wanted for a while, I think, as a, as a podcast, we wanted him as safety yeah. last year. Raheem Nunez Rochez, uh, Donovan Smith, Mike Edwards, Blaine Gabbert, Josh Wells, Scotty Miller. Uh, they've also lost Sean Bunting, obviously Tom Brady, Akeem Hicks, Leonard Fournette, Cameron Brake, Julio Jones, Ryan Suckup, Carl Rudolph, Giovanni Bernard, Carl Nassib. Like, there's there's quite a few big name people there. They've brought in. Uh, Baker Mayfield to be quarterback one. I mean, he has some good and bad moments last year, more bad than good, but I mean, he showed more than he has done in his previous stops. So it gives you confidence that he might actually be able to win some games this year. They've also brought in Greg Gaines, the defensive tackle, Mike Filer, Aaron Stinney, uh, re-signed Aaron Stinney, beg your pardon. Also brought in Ryan Neal, Dedrin Sanat, uh, Chase Edmonds, I think that's a really shrewd signing for $1.2 million. Oh, yeah. Chase McLaughlin, um, John Wolford to be the backup. And then they also managed to re-sign Jamel Dean, the cornerback. They managed to re-sign Anthony Nelson, Levante David, Aaron Sinney, I already mentioned. This is a team which has made re-signings that a rebuilding team doesn't make. Clearly, they think more highly of themselves than than we think of them, Ash. And looking at their draft picks, took Kalijah Kansi at 19, who I know that you were very high on, the defensive tackle from Pitt, Cody Mulch, the uh, versatile offensive lineman from North Dakota State, Yaya Diaby, who was one of my favourite players in the draft, the edge player from Louisville, Savokie Dennis, the linebacker from, I can't say that name, but Pitt. I'll go with it. Pitts. Yeah, no, I know it was Pitt. I meant just his first name. Oh, I always butcher okay. it. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Hey, uh, Payne <laughs> Durham, the Titan from Purdue, who I know you profiled and were quite high yeah. on. Josh Haynes, uh, Hayes, the DB from Kansas State. Trey Palmer, wide receiver Nebraska. And then everyone's favorite, hometown low-end edge, uh, Jose Ramirez, the athletic DE from Eastern Michigan. What do you make of what Tampa Bay have done? I, I do think they're rebuilding, but They've made weird moves if they are. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, it had, yeah, it has been an interesting offseason because you say they probably think they could compete in that division still because it's so weak. Like, if their vet players hit their ceilings again and some of these draft picks hit and Baker does more good than bad, they can probably be about 500 in this season. And that honestly could win the division. So I remember. 2013 to 15 Panthers won it back to back and only one of those uh only one of those seasons was a winning season the south is becoming the NFC least again and the books obviously think they can win it so they've made a sort of win now they've made some win now moves with one eye to the future it's like Baker if he hits he can win lead, lead him to the promised land and to be honest Cole Trask he's not exactly a high upside backup but if you need to put him in for a game or two, I think he can operate the offense well enough to maybe keep you afloat. Rashad White, who obviously they drafted last year from Rise, Arizona State, really good running back. Outside zones, receiving, very good. Chase Edmond does the same thing with a bit more inside versatility. And then Keishaw Vaughn can run it, just run the inside zones for them. Fair enough. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Chris Russell Gage, really good top tier wide receivers. Gage is an underrated slot receiver, I think, still. Really good on that, that poor Atlanta team and then to come across and still got poor quarterback play, but at least he's got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to draw coverage away from them. Trey Palmer was a decent wide receiver for Nebraska. They've got David Moore, 
who used to play for Seattle, really good deep threat. K. Dotton's a really is a okay possession tight end. Same with Payne Dome. He can block. He can receive. Not exactly a quick, fast guy, but he can get some yards after the catch. Moving worth the left tackle since they lost Donovan Smith, who we went to the Chiefs. Good move, and then that brings former Central Michigan guy Luke Degetsky in in at right tackle. Hopefully, he's had a bit of seasoning. So, remember rightly, he was one of the guys who used to be a tight end. So, this is like his third season at tackle now, and just come in and start and potentially go up against like Brian Burns twice a year, Epiquette twice a year, whoever the Saints have twice a year, and then all these. He's going to have a tiny bit of a baptism of fire, especially since he's right next to a rookie. Who, to be honest, that interior O-line, let's hope Tampa Bay have invested in some sunscreen because Jensen's ginger and Cody Mouch is ginger. And having a younger brother who's absolutely ginger and pale, they're going to be as red as their uniforms come the end of the game sometimes if the heat speeds down on them. And then that defense, it's got high upside. Vets in there, Levante David. Devin White, okay, doesn't do that much in coverage, but if you ask him to blitz and do a bit of run defense, he's okay. Barrett, I know he's injured last year, but... We got a member a couple of years ago. This was a, their version of Charles Harris, someone they brought in from the Denver Broncos. Didn't have that much to hope for. Absolutely balled out and got himself a contract. Rita Vey is one of the best nose tackles in the league. They drafted Logan Hall last year from Houston, who me and Ant absolutely loved and wanted to draft. They drafted Elijah Kansi this year, who I wanted to draft because he gave us that pass rush. They've got a fearsome pass rush if they can hit. I know they've got Joe trying to include the drafted who was a high pick, but hasn't really hit. But then they've got, obviously, your favourite, Yaya Debarbe, who can do stuff. They've got um, Yosin Rios, who's, as you said, is athletic, he can do stuff. Uh, Rashid Jr. is a decent, like, edge five, who can do some special team stuff and defend the run and get some power pass rush. Jamal Dean's a really good cornerback. Anton Winfield's one of the best young free safeties in the league, in my opinion. Carlton Davis is an okay cornerback too. They've got pieces there for it to hit and for them to get wins. But it's if they can all hit at the same time, because it's so variable. Like if Barrett doesn't come back with his injury, well, they're not going to get any pass rush from the outside uh, from their starters. It's all going to come from the interior. So it's all going to go downhill from there. And then the pass, the coverage won't be that good. If Baker's bad Baker, despite having really good wide receivers and a good high 10 core, what can they do? If Baker gets the gyps again and run, because that's what really hurt him in Cleveland, got him injured that could negatively impact the O-line. It could just all spiral from there. So they're another momentum team for me. If by the time they get, if they play us and they're like three and three, four and two, five and one, they could be really scary. If they're below that, they could be an absolute cakewalk. And it honestly depends which team we're going to be walking, which Tampa Bay we're going to be walking into week six. Is it going to be a good one who's returning to their heights or is it one who's going to be gunning for like Caleb Williams, Drake May of that core? Yeah. Yeah, I think you've articulated it very well. This defense really could be something special. I mean, Levante David is already there, like you said, marshalling that defense. If Devin White decides to be a good player, that team looks completely different. And I don't expect Joe Tryon to start. I think Guy Adiabi will be the starter by week six. And I think he'll be going big guns. I really am high on what he can do, especially as a 3-4 outside linebacker. And with Logan Hall and Cancy and Veya, that might be a good a front three as you can have in the National Football League. So, I mean, don't sleep on this team. As much as we might be saying, oh, it's tanking, maybe they'll be there for the number one pick, which is exactly what I said at the top of the show. 
it's not a gimme. It really isn't, like you say. Momentum team. And it's going to be a tough ask for us. It really is. Um, right. That is the first six games. We have a couple of questions to get to on the After the Show show. And if you want to listen to the After the Show show and ask your questions, you need to be watching us live on YouTube and Twitch. So come and join us then. If you're on the audio show, our next episode is going to be this time next week, Monday, May 15th. Schedule reaction, final 11 games, off-season and game preview. So we're doing exactly what we just did now. How have these teams done in their off-season? What might we be able to do against them? College Pod, as we've said before, is on hiatus, but to return soon to profile all of the FBS uh, conferences. You can follow us on our socials on Royal Alliance UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, and the Facebook group for Worldwide Fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. The website with all the articles rotluk.com don't forget to get subscribe rate five stars on your podcast provider it really makes a big difference especially given our size that you know the we're getting some good stuff there so if any of you guys do that much much appreciated but uh for ash for myself we'll see you next week let's go lions one pride one pride